Hello and welcome. I would first uh, like to thank Mr. Clement for uh, joining me on the program today. Thank you very much, Mr. Clement, uh, for joining me. Thank uh, you. It's, uh, may I uh, say uh, congratulations on your podcast and as a fellow podcaster myself, I know it takes a lot of effort and uh, you've got to be uh, focused and you've got to be consistent. So well done for doing this. Thank you very much. Uh, so I'm just going to get started right away. So um, how about we just start off with a question of um, when and how did you get involved uh, in politics and just explain a little bit about yourself for people who maybe aren't familiar with you? Sure. So I had uh, 25 years of active involvement in elected politics, both in the province of Ontario and in Canada, in the federal parliament. Um, but I've had, uh, I would say, uh, uh, well, at this point, 45 years of experience in politics because I started as a volunteer. I started at 14 years of age, uh, delivering leaflets to door to door uh, in my in the first general election that I participated in, which, which was the 1975 Ontario election. So a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, and uh, I've been involved in every single Ontario election and every single federal election ever since that time. And why did I get involved? Well, I, I think there's a, both a principled reason and a practical reason. The, the, the practical reason to start with that is because at the time, my mother, who was a single mom, uh, was working at Queen's Park for a conservative member of provincial parliament. His name was Bill Hodson, uh, and he represented the riding of York North. And uh, when the election was called, uh, she didn't have a lot of seniority. So in order for her to ha keep having a job, which was important to our family, uh, you know, it was all hands on deck. And so uh, she dragooned me out to, uh, to help with that uh, election campaign and that riding. Uh, the more principled reason uh, of, as to why I was attracted to conservative politics as a young person, 14 years of age, was uh, because of the context of the times. Uh, uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau was uh, the Prime Minister of Canada, uh, and uh, he was extremely left of center, if I can put it that way. Uh, he believed in state-sponsored economic activity, not a lot of freedom for free markets. And so I reacted to what I saw happening. What, what I saw was you know, socialism run amok with Pierre Elliott Trudeau, and I believe that people should be free to make their own economic choices. Uh, and that's how we all live better lives, uh, not only ourselves, but our neighbors too. And around the world, the United States was in retreat uh, and uh, the, the forces of Soviet communism were on the march in many African countries, Asian countries. The end of the Vietnam War was an ignominious defeat for the Americans and a, no, a number of other dominoes in the region toppled like uh, Cambodia and Laos. Uh, and uh, so to me, uh, I saw this existential threat to freedom and democracy, and I wanted to fight for freedom and democracy in my own way. So those were the reasons I was attracted to politics. And um, it, it sort of carried with me through my university years. And I got very active on campus for conservative causes there. And, uh, and then eventually ran for elected office uh, in Brampton riding in Ontario. Uh, well, yeah, that's certainly even uh, the reasoning, uh, the reasons that you gave for why you got in, 
involved in politics. I'm sure many of the people who uh, have gotten involved in politics recently would be uh, able to give the same answer, um, especially with, Justin, so. with Justin Just Trudeau. Nothing yeah, nothing new, nothing new under the sun, my friend. Absolutely. The next one. Uh, one of the reasons I started this podcast was to get more young Canadians involved in politics. So uh, what would your pitch be to young Canadians who would be potential conservative voters? Yeah, that's a great question, Wyatt. And I, I think it's an important question because I think conservatives have not done everything that they could do to communicate to younger Canadians. And, uh, uh, you know, it, one of the telltale signs is if the average age of your political movement starts going higher and higher, that's not a good sign because you could age out and, and not be relevant. Uh, but I think we've got a compelling message for young people and uh, millennials and uh, post-millennials uh, value freedom. They value freedom of expression. Uh, they value freedom of activity in their lives. And we really are a party of freedom. We don't believe in the nanny state. We don't believe that the state has the answer to everything in our lives. The state should be there for order, of course, and the state should be there uh, for a minimum level of, uh, of, of assistance for people who, through no fault of their own, uh, come into challenges in their lives. But generally, uh, we as conservatives believe that people should uh, take responsibility for more decisions in their lives. And uh, that, and as, I said, as I said, leads to better results, uh, better uh, growth in the economy, more jobs, more opportunity, uh, and more happiness, quite frankly. So I, I believe at a time when some people in uh, the millennial and post-millennial generation want less freedom, less choice, whether it's through cancel culture or uh, through stamping out uh, uh, freedom of thought on campuses as examples, uh, we can be a beacon of freedom of thought and, and hope. And that's what, I, that's what I think is our best chance at having that dialogue with younger people. And I think that uh, especially right now, we um, are beginning to see it. For example, in the 2019 election, we've seen a lot of uh, conservative members who were elected for their first time or who are reelected who uh, really represent young people. Um, we see someone like Leslin Lewis who uh, is getting ready to run in the riding of Haldeman Norfolk. Uh, so when people, uh, when people like her get elected, because I'm confident that she will be able to get elected in the next election, whenever that is, um, when people like her get elected, it's those types of people who uh, can bring about uh, better to the young conservatives uh, movement. Yeah, I think there's a, obviously there's been a change of the guard in the Conservative Party of Canada. Uh, and uh, that, that is natural. It's, uh, it should be, uh, it should be applauded. And uh, our party is more diverse now, our party has, but the core of our party is the same in the sense that we believe in freedom, we believe in democracy, uh, we, uh, we want to, we don't want to tax people into, into oblivion uh, and, uh, and freedom of thought is very important to us. So uh, I'm very excited about uh, these new voices that are being heard in our party right now. Absolutely. Okay. My next question is, um, I asked Marilyn Gladue this question when she came on the podcast a little, uh, just yet a few days ago, actually. Uh, but I'm going to ask you the same question because I feel it's very important. And I feel uh, as if many Canadians feel that uh, this question is important to be answered by uh, many politicians or former politicians. Do you support nation or province-wide uh, shutdowns as it relates to the effects uh, of, mental health, uh, uh, of mental health on Canadians, but also the impact it is having on small business? So uh, I'm a former health minister, uh, both uh, in Ontario and in Canada. 
when I was a health minister in Ontario, it was during the SARS uh, pandemic outbreak. And uh, of course, uh, it, uh, it has nothing on COVID. Uh, uh, SARS, the 44 people unfortunately pa passed away, but uh, that is nothing compared to what's happening with COVID, of course. But it was the first kind of pandemic in, in our lifetime. And uh, we should have learned a lot more lessons that, that unfortunately were not learned or were not uh, remembered. Uh, we didn't keep up a supply of PPE. We didn't uh, stop uh, air travel to the extent that we should have or check people at the border to make sure that they were uh, not showing any symptoms. All these things were missed by the federal government, unfortunately. Uh, where we are now, obviously cases are spiking to uh, vertiginous levels right now. Uh, and so um, I, I think we're at a real inflection point. And uh, I would say we've got one of two choices. We either do a, a, a big circuit breaker shutdown like they did in uh, Melbourne, uh, Australia, and just shut everything down for two or three weeks. Uh, or uh, we, uh, we uh, protect the people who need protection, the vulnerable, the elderly, and uh, the rest of society has got to get on with our lives. I think we're at that inflection point right now, quite frankly, and get the vaccine out as soon as we can. Uh, and uh, I, I can't, it's just, I'm tearing my hair out as a former health minister at the slowness of the vaccine. Uh, and uh, that's, that's right on Justin Trudeau's lap. And uh, it's unfortunate, but true. Well, um, we've seen that they they've they waited six months to get the vaccine out and then over the holiday break they uh, decided to close down um the vaccine distribution um, sites to give people the covid vaccine um and then relating to your point on lockdowns um you're absolutely right uh you cannot do a lockdown in toronto peel and york and windsor and wherever uh, but not do it in places like durham and then sudbury and smaller uh places because the people from the other regions are simply just going to travel to um, the regions that aren't in lockdown. So um, well, I'm in Muskoka. We've had about 140 cases since March. That's the total number of cases in Muskoka. I think we've, we we're adding one or two a day. That's about it. Uh, and we've had a lot of cottagers who come up, come up from Toronto, but they've mostly been very responsible. And uh, I, I can tell you our small businesses are really hurting here. As they are in many other parts of the province, and a lot of people here are saying, you know, if you got a problem in Toronto, fix it in Toronto. But why? Why do we have to be shuttered? So we're starting. I, at the beginning of this pandemic, you had the the kind of the psychology of we're all in it together. Well, that that is being frayed and being tested right now, where people are saying, come on, you know, we we got to live. And you you said it yourself. Why? What about the mental health costs? And what about the costs because of uh, more drug addiction, more spousal abuse, uh, economic uh, failures, businesses being shuttered? So there's all these other things that I'm sure Doug Ford is trying to trying to take into account. Uh, but my point of view is you go to the public health authorities, they're going to say the same thing. And we have this phrase, Wyatt, it's a great political phrase. When you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So remember that phrase, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So that's when you go to the public health officials and say, what should we do next? They're going to say, shut it down. Well, we've already shut it down. We'll shut it down more. At some point, uh, we've got to get out of this cycle of shutting things down because uh, people are going to lose their livelihoods forever. And it's very unfortunate. Well, exactly. And we're all in this together can really no longer be stated as a statement. We've seen politicians travel uh, over the holidays. Um, 
people uh, up when actual Ontarians and Canadians, um, you know, maybe someone had a sick family member in another country. I know Michelle Rempel Garner mentioned that she would have liked to go to Oklahoma, but not just other politicians that could have went to other places, but Canadians um, would have loved, I'm sure, to go to uh, other places in the world over the holidays, but they weren't able um, to do so because politicians were uh, and health experts were telling them not to. Um, but then politicians turned around and went anyways. That was very unfortunate that that happened. I agree with you, Wyatt. Uh, you've got to lead by example, obviously. And look, uh, politicians are human beings. None of them are perfect. But when you're asking people to stay at home and then you're not staying home, it's never a good signal for sure. Exactly. Um, my next question is, as a result of Trudeau's out of control spending, we continue to see uh, uh, economic um, shutdowns and economic downturns. Uh, and continued closure of small businesses. Justin Trudeau is uh, spending money uh, as if it grows on trees. Uh, in your opinion, is Justin Trudeau really thinking about the long-term uh, effects of all of his spending? No, uh, I, look, I know Justin Trudeau. Obviously we served in parliament together for, for a few years and, um, and I knew him even before he was a parliamentarian. We served on a board together. Uh, and uh, look, um, I don't think he has the wherewithal to understand or care about long-term economic impacts of his decisions. And uh, that's just my uh, assessment of him, my personal assessment of him. He cares about societal change and transformation. Uh, he claims to care about the environment or claims to care about social justice. Although I think yeah, I can give you lots of examples where the opposite impact is the case. Um, and so we're left with, um, quite frankly, a, a finance department that is no longer independent of the prime minister. Uh, they basically take their cue from Prime Minister Trudeau uh, and uh, Christia Freeland, who is a strong person. Uh, I know her as well, of course, uh, having served in parliament with her. Uh, yeah. I, I think she's, she's totally subverted by the situation. So uh, I, I don't think it augurs well for future generations. I, I'll be frank with you. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of tough choices that are going to be made, whether it's a liberal or conservative post Trudeau, uh, they're going to they're going to be faced with some really tough choices. And uh, I think the only way out of this is to grow the economy. Uh, but this style of liberalism that we have right now, they don't know how to grow the economy. They only know how to grow the government. Exactly. And the problem is, is, uh, you know, conservatives can say to them, um, okay, uh, your deficit's getting out of hand, uh, out of hand, rather try and uh, maintain it, or even members of their own party could say that, but they don't care. They're going to continue to sp uh, spend money. Um, so, I mean, it's concerning to think about um, the effects it's going to have on future generations, um, and even the effects it's going to have on, on current generations. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we, we went through this period, the 2015 election was a case in point where Two political parties, the Conservatives under Stephen Harper and the NDP under Thomas Mulcair, ran on balanced budget platforms. Trudeau, uh, perhaps cleverly, uh, decided to run on, quote, a modest deficit, which was uh, $10 billion at the time, of course. Uh, we've, well, we've lapped that oh, several yeah. 330 times since then. But he, he ran on a modest deficit. And... Uh, people bought the argument that a modest deficit was okay if it, if it meant that there'd be a chicken in every pot and that every road would be paved and uh, social justice tomorrow. Uh, of course, none of that happened. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, it did erode in, in the public psyche the virtues of 
having a balanced budget. And one of, one of the things that conservatives are going to have to educate people on, again, including, uh, dare I say, millennials and post-millennials, is why I'm not saying, you know, uh, frugality, let's call it frugality. Uh, it doesn't have to be austerity. The word austerity has got a dirty connotation now uh, because leftists have made it that made it that way. But, uh, but having fr- a government that's frugal with the tax dollars is in everybody's interest. And we, ha- we have to have that as part of the political dialogue again. Absolutely. My next one is um, uh, a, not really a topic that uh, wants to be discussed, but something that absolutely has to be discussed. Um, Down in the United States on Wednesday, we've seen unprecedented riots of protesters storming the United States Capitol. Uh, This happened just as Congress was getting ready to certify President-elect Joe Biden's victory. There has been calls for the impeachment of President Donald Trump, uh, even though there is only two weeks left in his term. Should President Donald Trump be impeached? Uh, And is this something that threatens democracy, not just in the United States, but in other countries around the world, including here in Canada? Well, what Donald Trump did on Wednesday uh, was unconscionable, quite frankly. Uh, he basically incited a riot. Uh, some people call it an insurrection, uh, but he, ba- he basically uh, called his uh, followers to come together in Washington. Uh, a few thousand did. And then he, uh, he said, go, go down the, the road to the Capitol building and, uh, you know, show them who's boss, basically. And uh, uh, the Capitol was stormed, uh, you know, uh, and it was very, very disturbing uh, to see the halls of democracy uh, where elected representatives and a representative democracy should be able to debate without fear, uh, to have them having to be basically protected either in place or barricade their offices because of uh, these uh, irresponsible people. It was uh, very, very jarring for all of us. So I do condemn that. I do condemn President F- Trump for uh, inciting that. Uh, and I've uh, reluctantly come to the conclusion that the sooner he's out of office, the better. Now, I, I say that uh, be- w- with knowledge that uh, knowing the way things work in Washington, uh, he if you will get not, impeached, then you can't yeah. run again in 2024. Yeah, yeah but yeah, I don't think they'll, they, they will not have that process done. Uh, I think if you, if they use yeah. uh, article 25 of the constitution, you can't run again, but uh, even impeachment, uh, it won't get done in time. And for all intents and purposes, Mike Pence is running the government right now anyway. So, which, and I feel I have comfort level with Mike Pence. I've met him. Uh, I have, I have a lot of confidence in Mike Pence. Uh, it's just unfortunate though. Uh, and um, here's, here's what I predict. I'll, I, I, let me, let me predict a few things for you. Number one, uh, the Republican party will do everything they can to make sure that Donald Trump is no, is not the nominee in 2024. Uh, and so uh, I think they've come to that conclusion that it would be a death knell to the party. Uh, Donald Trump hasn't come to that conclusion, and he may run as an independent. So you've heard it here first on Wyatt's podcast that somebody predicting that Donald Trump could run as an independent, um, which will be tough for the Republican Party as well. So they're really yeah. between a rock and a hard place. The other interesting thing that's happening is, you know, there's civil war going on within the Republican Party. There's also a civil war going on within the Democratic Party between the these arch progressives like AOC and the squad uh, and uh, Biden and some of the more centrist people. So not neither party is very unified right now. Uh, and uh, all the pressure is going to be on Biden. 
Uh, he's got control of Congress. He has control of the executive branch. The only thing he doesn't control is the, is the judiciary, but he's got control of Congress. So no, he has no one to blame but, but himself if things go awry. And plenty of things can go awry in four years. So it's going to be, it's never a dull moment to observe American politics. But I, I just, uh, I think, uh, I, I just wish Donald Trump would go away now. Uh, there's a few things that I agreed with him when he was president. But oh, this, absolutely. Yeah. Make me as well. This last, uh, this last gasp uh, was an assault on democracy. And I, can, I cannot support that. Uh, and I, I don't think any, anyone, obviously there is some people that can support it, but uh, when just thinking about it, if, if you were to, let, let's say uh, Mike Pence were, Mike Pence couldn't have done anything um, on Wednesday, but let's say he could have done something, um, then that would have encouraged other presidents to do it. And it would have just been all around a massive threat to democracy. And um, I certainly, when I grew up, would like to see uh, voting just as it is now. You go to the polls, you vote. Um, for who you want your politicians and your leaders to be, um, and then they go on uh, to serve you. Um, so that I, Wyatt, you're absolutely right, and and uh, we're living in extraordinary times. I never thought I'd live through a period where the very tenets of U.S. democracy, which has been a beacon of hope around the world, uh, have been challenged not only by outside actors like Russia and China, but also internally by Americans themselves. It's a very sad moment. It reminds me of the last gasp of the Roman Republic, to be honest with you. Uh, it's not over yet. Uh, America can bounce back, uh, but uh, it's been a, a period of declinism in the US, which does not augur well. I know a lot of people, leftists and progressives are cheering on the decline of the US. Be careful what you wish for. Uh, when, uh, if and when the U.S. declines, it will not mean more peace. It will not mean more democracy. It will not mean more social justice in the world. It'll mean the exact opposite. Yeah, okay. Um, my next one is here in Ontario, um, just yesterday, the Ford government announced that they're extending school closures until at least January the 25th of 2021 for all elementary school uh, students. Um, however, in a province like Alberta, they are, uh, they announced that students will return to the classroom as usual on January the 11th, uh, which was their scheduled date to return. Uh, if you were in the shoes of Doug Ford or Jason Kenney, would you extend sc school closures? Would you reopen them? What do you think should be uh, done in terms of school closures? Well, I, I, I heard a recent statistic, Wyatt, that one in five uh, Ontario pupils uh, is, 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 has had or, is, or has COVID. If that number is, is accurate, it's very concerning, obviously. Uh, now, I'm sure a lot of them are asymptomatic, but, uh, but still, yeah, exactly. uh, the, that's, I guess that's the issue that they're, they're grappling with. I, I go back to, look, uh, we're, we're kind of neither, uh, we're neither, uh, you know, feast nor fowl. We're, we're, we're kind of in the middle. We have kind of a lockdown, but not a real lockdown compared to what they did in Australia, as yeah. an example, uh, or New Zealand. Uh, so my point of view is you, you've got to pick a lane. Uh, having half a lockdown isn't working. Uh, and uh, if you want to do a, a, what they call a circuit breaker, where you have a, a, an enforced real lockdown to break the spread for at least the time being until we can get the, the vaccine out more, uh, and more distributed, then uh, I, I think that would be the way to go. So if that involves a couple more weeks of online learning, which we all know is not ideal. Absolutely. Yep. 
uh, th then I'm, I'm willing to put up with that. But you can't, we can't go through this stop and start and get the schools running again and closing them again. It's, it, you know, uh, yes, I know public health is important, but also the uh, future ability of our students to acquire information is important. And yep. uh, yeah, online is important for that, but it's not the whole answer. Yeah, um, ab absolutely. Uh, many politicians, and I, we've already talked about this, um, but many politicians have uh, across Canada have broken their own public health guidelines to travel out of the country during the holidays. For example, uh, at the time, Minister Phillips, uh, uh, Minister of Finance Rod Phillips, along with Alberta's Municipal Affairs Minister Tracy Allard, multiple, uh, multiple Liberal MPs, as well as NDP MP Nikki Ashton. Uh, so again, we already talked about that, but specifically, do you think that these politicians should be held accountable? Uh, and do you think that they should go as far as resigning? So here, yeah, I mean, uh, certainly if you're in a position of power, uh, Nikki Ashton, uh, she visiting a sick relative, she's in no position of power. I, I care less about that example, quite frankly. Yeah. So uh, I guess she'll be called to account. But uh, generally, if you're telling people to do something because it's in the interest of public health and then you don't do it, that's never a good thing for a politician to do. Let me just say this though, in addition to this, uh, human beings, this is the way it, this is why, uh, you know, leaving it, and I have to be careful how I say this, this is why things aren't working very well. People are making their own decisions and hey, I'm a freedom lover. I like it when people make their own decisions, but to admonish them for making exceptions for themselves is to, to admonish them for human nature. Because what's happening as this thing drags on into month 10 and month 11 and, and month 12 is people say, well, I know we're not supposed to be outside of, uh, outside of our house, but you know, I'm just going across the road to visit my friend. You know? and I'm, or yeah, I guess there's more people around here than there should be, but you know, none of us are symptomatic, so there's no big issue. Everybody has a reason to excuse their behavior. As the longer this goes on, the more people are going to do that, uh, just for their own mental wellness. So here's what Rod Phillips did. I'm sure he said to himself, I'm not breaking any guideline. There's no rule against this. There's no law against this. I will quarantine uh, when I get back. Uh, which is according to public health, yeah. uh, you know, guidelines. So, and, uh, you know, I haven't had a holiday and God knows how long and my wife and kids miss me. That's what he did. And he made that choice and it, it was the wrong choice. I'm not saying it was the right choice. I'm trying to explain to you why human beings make this choice. And so the longer the lockdown goes on, the more people are going to excuse themselves. Doug Ford today was saying, you know, people, you gotta, you gotta adhere to the guidelines. People have been trying to adhere to the guidelines, which, are, which shift seemingly every week anyway. People have been adhering to the guidelines since March. How long yeah. are we going to go on with this? Uh, we have to have a circuit breaker and we have to have the vaccine. That's the only way out of this. Absolutely. And I mean, you're right. I don't, there's no, there, so there's two reasons this could be. Today, Ontario reported a record number of new COVID cases. They reported over 4,200 I believe around 1,300 were in Toronto, and I could go on with how many were in each region. But um, this is this could be for two reasons. Uh, number one, uh, it could be that people just don't care, and as you said, they're going over to their neighbor's house or they're going over to their friend's house or 
Um, but it also could just be the fact that uh, it's not a complete lockdown, as you said, for example, you gave uh, an example of like it was in Australia. Um, so, I, yeah, I think that uh, if we're going to get out of this, we need uh, the vaccine um, to come out and to be uh, distributed uh, properly. And, uh, and I, I would agree with you that that is the only way out of, uh, of the COVID pandemic. Um, I'm glad we're in agreement because uh, otherwise this thing ain't going away. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I have one more question for you today. Sure. Um, do you see yourself running for any type of office again in your lifetime? Uh, well, I've been at it. I was at it for 25 years, Wyatt. So I think uh, I'm content with that. I, I accomplished some things that I was very proud of, whether as health minister or industry minister, or I helped uh, tame the deficit when I was uh, treasury board uh, president. Uh, you know, and I had a, a storied career in Ontario politics before that. So uh, I'm, I'm happy with that legacy, quite frankly, and uh, we'll leave it to people like yourself and others uh, to take up the baton. And, and I'm still active uh, just because I'm not in the House of Commons. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, I've got my podcast and Another Thing podcast. I've got my TV show, Boom and Bust, on the news forum. Uh, and uh, I was uh, I was uh, active in Aaron O'Toole's leadership campaign. So uh, people come to me asking for advice all the time uh, to run. So I feel like I'm still connected with uh, the future of my country and my province. I just don't uh, have to uh, uh, attend the House of Commons in order to do so. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you very much, Mr. Clement, for joining me today. And um, the best of luck to you and um, the rest of your adventure, whatever it may bring. And the best of luck with you and your podcast. Thank you. Thank you.